What do you think it is that makes someone great? What is it that makes someone great? Is it their personality, their skills, or their confidence? Is it the people they associate with? Is it their ability to overcome any obstacle? Or is it just being better than everyone else? What is it that makes someone great? And what do you think you would have to do to become great? How could you be truly great? Well, today's passage is all about what makes someone great. But the answer we get might surprise you. And it starts with this spectacular event up a mountain. And perhaps as it was read out, you might have been feeling a little bit confused by it. So we're going to break it down into three parts. The context, the conversation, and the confirmation. All of which are pointing to the greatness of Jesus. So let's take a look. Chapter 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Now, this is what they call the transfiguration. Now, that word just means to transform or to change appearance. And it's here where we see that there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. You know, something of his true nature is revealed. But in this moment, there are all sorts of important Old Testament images happening all at once. And so some context is going to be helpful as we make a few little observations. First of all, where are they? They're up a mountain. Now that's significant because in the Old Testament, it was on mountains that God several times spoke to people and showed his glory. And here's Jesus up a mountain, shining bright. And did you notice who he is with? Well, it's Moses and Elijah, two of the big characters of the Old Testament. Now, perhaps you might wonder, well, why wasn't it a different character? You know, why why wasn't it David or Abraham or Isaiah? There's a few possible reasons, but it might be to do with what we saw last week. Remember all the crowds were trying to work out who Jesus was, and two of the possible people were Moses and Elijah. And so just in case they still weren't sure, here's Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. So he's obviously someone different, someone greater. There's all these Old Testament ideas going on and many that we haven't even touched. But here, just notice that right at the center is Jesus. And did you notice the conversation that was happening? Verse 30 again. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. See, this conversation, it was about Jesus' departure, or more literally, they spoke of his exodus. Now, you might know that Moses was part of a a great exodus, bringing Israel out of slavery to Egypt. But the exodus of Jesus, that's his death. That's going to happen in Jerusalem very soon. The day when Jesus would be betrayed, beaten and nailed to a cross to take away the sins of anyone who believes in him. This is his exodus, and this is Jesus' true moment of greatness. 
But just how hanging on a cross makes him great? Well, we're going to have to keep reading. Because meanwhile, standing there watching this unfold was Peter, James and John. And you can just imagine the confusion that they would have been feeling at this point. You know, Peter, he tries to offer some help, but he doesn't really know what's happening. Uh, And even worse, they're feeling a bit sleepy. You know, they've been walking around, helping the crowds. You know that that sleepy feeling when you're not sure if you're still dreaming and, you know, you've just woken up and you feel a bit disorientated to what's going on? Well, I hope you're not feeling like that now because the next bit is important. The disciples get caught up in it all. And this is where we get the confirmation about God, about who, from God, about who Jesus is. Have a look at verse 34. While Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at the time what they had seen. You see, Peter, James and John, they're now welcomed into this cloud, the very presence of God. Which is amazing in itself, since in the past, just to go anywhere near God would cause instant death. But now, with Jesus there with them, they get to enter into God's presence. And God speaks to them directly, confirming exactly what we saw last week. Jesus is God's chosen son. Jesus is the Christ. But amongst this, amongst this montage of Old Testament high points, Jesus is at the center, confirmed as the Christ. Which makes what we see next a huge contrast as the disciples seem to have misunderstood that Jesus is greatest and not them. Now this contrast that Jesus is great and the disciples are not is evident in three different events. Look first at what happens with the demon when they come down from the mountain. Verse 37. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he foams at the mouth. A spirit seizes and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Here is a desperate father who's come directly to Jesus because the disciples have failed to rid his son of this destructive spirit. Even though just at the start of chapter 9, Jesus had sent them out with powers to cast out demons. So why have they failed this time? Well, Jesus' response seems to give us the answer. Have a look at verse 41. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. You see, the two adjectives that Jesus uses gives us some insight into why the disciples had failed this time around. First, their unbelief. You see, the power to cast out demons was given to them by God. 
But it seems after going around Galilee healing people and casting out demons, they had become self-reliant. They put faith in themselves instead of God. But their misplaced faith meant that they failed to cast out this demon. Secondly, Jesus calls them perverse. It's a strong word meaning to be crooked or twisted. You know, it's pointing back to the way Israel was described back in the book of Deuteronomy, turning their hearts away from God. So can you see the problem? The disciples had stopped believing in God to work through them and started believing in themselves to perform these miracles, taking the glory from God and giving it to themselves. And we need to be careful that we don't do the same. You know, I think we do it without thinking. For example, we finish a big project and instead of thanking God, we think, I did great. You know, I should reward myself for finishing that. Or we read in the Bible not to slander others and we think, oh, I'm glad I didn't do that. You know, we, we have success on the sporting field and we think, how good am I? We get so puffed up by how great we think we are. We take the glory from God and we give it to ourselves. Instead, we ought to thank God for the wonderful gifts and skills that he's given each of us. The disciples, they were believing in themselves instead of God. But meanwhile, back in Luke, as this young boy comes forward, Jesus shows everyone the greatness of God. Have a look at verse 42. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. You see, with total power and control, Jesus heals the boy. No problem at all. A clear example of how Jesus is great and the disciples are not. Everyone watching could see it. And the second example comes immediately after. Still in verse 43. While everyone was marvelling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. You see, for the second time in this chapter, Jesus predicts his death speaking plainly of how he's going to be betrayed and then killed. And for the second time, it seems to come at a moment when we least expect it. See, everyone's still marvelling at Jesus' display of power. Why would he start talking about his death? Well, it's as if he wants to play down the hype about him casting out this demon because that's not what makes him great. He wants to stop his disciples from thinking that it's your abilities or your power that make you great. Which is where this passage really turns upside down. Jesus is redefining what greatness looks like. See, the world around us often say that greatness is about being better than others. When I looked up a definition online, it said that greatness is a concept of a state of superiority affecting a person. You know, greatness can be referred to individuals who possess a natural ability to be better than all others. Jesus, he gives us a new definition. He says it's not about being above everyone else. No, no, it's the other way around. It's putting everyone else above yourself. It's humility. That's true greatness. 
acting for the good of others ahead of yourself. And Jesus, he's the ultimate example of it. Because he gives up everything, even his life, for the sake of others. He willingly dies in our place. See, humility is so often seen as a sign of weakness in our society. You know, people think it's like you're being a doormat for people to walk over. But that's not what it is at all. Humility is a noble choice to act for the good of others above yourself. It's a mark of greatness, not weakness. But the disciples, they just don't get it. And just to show how much they didn't understand what Jesus was saying, Luke puts in one more example where we see how Jesus is great and the disciples are not. Have a look at verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And now this, this bit reminds me of a scene in the third Lord of the Rings movie. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Uh, two of the main characters, Legolas, the elf, and uh, Gimli, the dwarf, they're counting how many people they kill. Now they're, they're in amongst this big battle, and there's also the creatures and armies, but the whole time they're comparing with each other how many people they've killed, as if that makes one of them better. And so maybe for the disciples, it was comparing who had done or seen more. You know, one of them says, I got to go up the mountain to see the transfiguration. And so another one says, oh no, but I got to see Jesus raise the girl from the dead. Another one says, well, I healed 30 people, you only healed 20. You know, all of them arguing about which disciple was the greatest, but basing it on their own achievements. And so Jesus, again, helps them to see what true greatness is. In verse 47, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Now this example uh, might not be immediately obvious to us, but in the culture of the day, children had the least status of anyone. So to spend time with children that weren't your own, that was considered to be a waste of time. So for Jesus to take a random child and tell them to welcome it or value it, that would have been a countercultural idea. But Jesus says welcoming this child, that is welcoming the lowest people of society, was to welcome him and to welcome God. Jesus is saying that true greatness comes from putting others, even the lowly, ahead of yourself. Greatness isn't something that just kind of comes naturally or is inherent in us. And it's not that the lowly people themselves are actually the greatest. No, no, it's when we welcome and value the lowly. That's when we become great. Jesus' punchline sums it up. He says, for he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. See, the disciples think they're so great because they're hanging out with Jesus and he's important and they've been given powers to cast out demons and heal the sick. So much so that for John, what Jesus has just said has gone over his head. Have a look at how he replies in verse 49. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. See, John must have been thinking that being a disciple somehow made him greater than anyone else. 
You know, that they had exclusive rights to casting out demons and anyone else doing it should be stopped. But Jesus quickly corrects him because Jesus doesn't want us to see ourselves as better than others, but to put others above ourselves and to be willing to welcome anyone because how we welcome others is how we welcome Jesus. I mean, you just got to look at the life of Jesus as an example. Jesus, the greatest in God's kingdom. Have a look at who he welcomed. Tax collectors, lepers, children, the, the sinners and the unclean, the lowest people of society. I think we should be challenged by this. You know, do we put limits on who we're willing to welcome? If a, a drug addict or a homeless man walked into church today, would you welcome them? Greatness doesn't come from associating with important people. Greatness comes through putting others ahead of yourself in humility. And friends, this is where we need to see that Jesus is great and we are not. You know, at the beginning I asked you to come up with, in your mind, you know, what you think you would have to do to become great. I wonder what you came up with. Maybe it was to do with having great abilities or skills. Maybe it was to do with hanging out with the right people. Well, Jesus is telling us that true greatness comes from humility. Jesus is by far the greatest in God's kingdom. And what makes him great is how he put others ahead of himself. What makes him the greatest is how he willingly gave up his life for us on the cross. But as we look at how great Jesus is, we should also look at ourselves to see that we are people filled with sin. Pride and greed and selfishness come from within us every day. We deserve God's wrath and we are in desperate need of his forgiveness. In fact, nothing should humble us more than the death of Jesus. Uh, The well-known Christian author John Stott, he writes this. He says, Every time we look at the cross... Christ seems to be saying to us, I'm here because of you. It's your sin I'm bearing, your curse I'm suffering, your debt I'm paying, your death I'm dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. You see, the more often we reflect on the cross of Christ, the more we'll see that Jesus is great and we are not. Friends, me and you, we need to be constantly working on things that will kill off our pride and grow our humility. Now, one suggestion I've heard as a way to help with that is to play golf. Uh, Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty hopeless at golf. And so when I play, it reminds me that I'm not perfect and I'm not good at everything. (laughs) Doing the things you're not good at will keep you humble. And so unless you're Tiger Woods or you're a pro golfer, play golf because greatness comes with humility. And look, there's hundreds of ways we can practice this. Why not this week try starting each day by acknowledging your total dependence on God. And then during the day, practice putting everyone above yourself. You know, jump in and do the dishes for someone. Welcome outsiders. Give thanks to God when someone gives you a compliment. Ask people for feedback and be teachable. And at the end of the day, uh, 
transfer all thanks to God for the things that have happened. But the best thing to do every day for the rest of your life is to take time to reflect on the wonder of the cross. The amazing thing that Jesus did by dying in our place to deal with our sin. Jesus is by far the greatest in God's kingdom. And we are not. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and the great example of humility that he is for us. That he willingly gave up his life for us at the cross. And thank you for all that that means. Help us to reflect on the cross daily. And as we do that, we ask that we would quickly repent of our own pride and sinfulness and that you would graciously forgive us. Father, we ask that you might change our hearts, that we might be more humble, that we would be more like Jesus. And we ask this not for our own glory, but the honour of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.